Between the years of 2005 and 2009, the bodies of eight women would be found in and around the canals of Jennings, Louisiana. Their deaths, possibly the work of a serial killer, possibly the work of a crime-heavy town, have never been solved. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the Jennings Eight, also known as the Jeff Davis Eight, and determine if the reason these cases have escaped justice is due to the work of a cunning serial killer, police corruption, or something else. Hi everyone, thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host today, Kelsey, with my co-host, Annalise. And our two guests today, yeah! Hi, it's Stephanie. Stephanie finally returns from the war, but I'm Anna. Hello, welcome back, everybody. I always just say my name. You guys, like, say something before, and I just, I don't have the creativity. I just say my name. Us being, like, we are the goofy little clowns to brighten things. It's because we're just sitting here learning, and we're like, oh boy. We are going to need some clown energy for this episode, because it, she is a doozy. Our story begins in on May 20th, 2005, when a man decides to go fishing in a canal on the outskirts of Jennings, Louisiana. He saw what he first thought was a mannequin floating in the water near his fishing line, until he saw the flies. Over the course of the next four years, seven more bodies would be found in Jennings, Louisiana, nearly all of them sex workers with a history of crack cocaine drug charges. I think we know why this isn't solved now. Oh, oh, just you wait. It, like, everything that you think you know about this case, get ready, because it's, like, comical how stereotypical it is in a horrible way. Uh, it's always, and I feel so sad about those cases where it's sex workers, because it's just never given the attention that it should. It just never is. Just you fucking wait. It is. I'm, I'm strapping in. I'm buckling my seatbelt. Buckling seat belt. because it is, it is so much of that the whole t- the whole way through. Jennings, Louisiana, at the time of the murders, was a small city of about ten thousand, and it's still around that same size, with more than its fair share of crime. Uh, to quote one of the family members of the victims, Jennings is a crooked ass town. Just sums it up. It's beautiful. According to Macrochens, Jennings, Louisiana had a crime rate of 782 per 10,000 people in the year 2006. That's, that's kind of like a number. It doesn't really give you like a good understanding of what that is. That's compared to a statewide rate of 721 per 10,000 and a national rate of 479 per 10,000. So that's a bit of a jump from Louisiana to the national rate, and then Louisiana in general, Jennings is just a little bit above that. Where in, like, where in Louisiana is Jennings? Do you have any idea? So Jennings is, so there's New Orleans, which is like the toe of the boot, like the pinky toe of the boot, if you will. There's Baton Rouge, which is maybe the knuckles of the toe, I'm, I'm going to keep going with this metaphor. Louisiana, uh, not Louisiana, 
Jennings is a little bit west of Lafayette, which is maybe the arch of the boot. So it's like middle of South Louisiana. Okay, okay. You went far with that metaphor, but also switched between foot and boot. Well, I started with the boot because it's Louisiana is known for being in the shape of a boot, but I'm like, I'm going to need more specifications than boot. Yeah, I was going to go like, remember Italy? That is also shaped like a boot. Like, imagine if someone was just like, um, that's not the only place shaped like a boot. Do your research. Do better. <laughs> do better. I do not live in Louisiana. I've never been to Louisiana. So, like, my geography of Louisiana is not up to snuff. I'm okay with admitting that. Local Louisianans drop in the chat. You don't know it. It's so far away from Lafayette. What do you know? According to a New York Times article on the murders, Jennings had, quote, long, a, long been a stopping off point for drug traffickers along Interstate 10. So right along the drug trail here, particularly for crack cocaine. And there, in Jennings in particular, there was a lot of sex workers and drug addicts in the sort of south side. There's a north side and a south side to Jennings. And the north side is the sort of the well-to-dos, the, you know, upper class, middle upper class, the white, mainly. Not all of them, but predominantly white group. And then there's the south side, which is a lot more people of color, a lot more people who are poorer, a lot more drug addicts, things like that. So there's a little bit of a socioeconomic difference between the two sides of the town. So before we get too far into the crimes here, or not the crimes, if, before we get too far into the town and the all the bullshit that happened with this case, I'm going to take some time to go over some of the details about each of the women and a little bit about each of their deaths. So going in order of discovery... We have uh, Loretta Lynn Chazon Lewis, last seen May 17th, 2005. She was the first victim to be found on May 20th, 2005 in the E Fork Grand Marais Canal, three miles west of the LA-26. Her cause of death could not be determined. She'd been in the water for a couple of days and her body had been found partially clothed with no shoes. The autopsy, while not being able to find her cause of death, did find high levels of drugs and alcohol in her system. She leaves behind a husband and two children. Oh, I'm gonna... You mentioned earlier how the whole drug scene plays into this. Were all the victims found with drugs in their system? No. But most of them do are. And it's a little bit... It's possible that that it ties into something with this murders. It may also not. So we'll get into that as we get in here. Do they think that the shoes were lost because she was in a body of water? Possibly. The women... The different women are found in differing stages of undress. And not all of them are found partially undressed uh at least one of them they think she was wearing uh flip-flops at the time of her disappearance so that possibly means she was trying to escape her killer and lost her shoes as a result because she's trying to run faster her being found in a canal may also mean that she had lost her shoes this is may in the south so it's not 
chilly by any means so there's the likelihood that she's wearing shoes that would easily fall off is there but I believe she was also missing her pants I think it was pants for her sad Ernestine Marie Daniels Patterson was reported missing June 16th 2005 and her body was found two days later on the 18th in the canal off of LA 99 according to her family she didn't do drugs and unlike many of the other women, she was not involved with Frankie Richard, who we are going to get into. He is an interesting character. Autopsy discovered that her throat was slit and there were several stab wounds around that. And the autopsy also revealed high levels of drugs and alcohol in her system. She leaves behind a husband, two daughters, and two sons. On May 16th, 2007, so about two years later, Brian Chad Jones and Leonard Nixon were awaiting trial for manslaughter in connection with Ernestine's death. The story there is that Ernestine went with these two men to an abandoned building to engage in sex work, where she was held down and stabbed to death. It appears that they, they pled down to manslaughter because that is clearly a little bit more than manslaughter. But by June 14th, 2007, the charges were dismissed due to lack of evidence and unreliable witnesses, i.e. sex workers and drug addicts. Lack of physical evidence and unreliable witnesses are going to be the song of the day when it comes to these cases. And that's the hard part because you can see why... Not every person who's taking drugs or is under the influence is going to be reliable, but also a lot of these cases, just because of their current lifestyle, people don't trust anything that they're going to say. And that's really tragic because some of these people probably did see some things and were saying accurate stories and people just aren't going to believe them on that basis. There's also in this case... Um... They're, the police are often labeling these people as unreliable for one reason or another. But then also, something else happens and you're like, are you saying that because you just don't want what this person in particular is saying to be believed? They're What's picking and there? choosing like, what they want is what you're saying. Be, oh. Okay, okay. Loba. Am I going to be psychic here? I'm going to bet the suspect is from the north side. No, actually. Gosh darn it! I thought that was going to be, like, a relevant tidbit. Both of these men deny involvement in Ernestine's murder, which, I mean, you're not going to, like, get the charges dropped and be like, yeah, it was involved. Like, that makes sense to me. Kristen Elizabeth Gary Lopez was last seen March 6, 2007, and was reported missing by Tracy Chason. Loretta's cousin. Her body was found March 18th, 2006. Nope, 2007. That is the wrong year. In the Petijan Canal. So, a couple weeks later. Her body was nude. And autopsy could not determine cause of death, I believe, because of the advanced decomp in the water. But they did find, again, high levels of drugs and alcohol. And in May of that year, Tracy would actually be arrested for accessory after the fact in this case, 
as officers believed that she knew where Kristen's body was when she reported her missing, but these charges would be dropped due to lack of evidence. And I think she did at least know that Kristen was dead when she made the call. That kind of seems to be she didn't really want to admit how involved she was or if she'd seen something maybe out of fear she didn't want to admit that she knew that but she still wanted her friend to be found and what exactly set them off to think that i'm not sure they didn't really say okay it might have been something she said or the way that she reported her missing i can't or any or could have been information she gave there's a lot of these cases are some a lot of these are still technically open so there is the police aren't willing to speak on a lot of the evidence that they have also there may be another reason for that but we'll get into it local pimp frankie richard you're gonna hear his name a few times was who is connected to about seven of the eight victims in one respect or another and his niece, Hannah Connor, were arrested in connection with Kristen's murder, but the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence and unreliable witnesses. Whitney Dubois, last seen May 10th, 2007, her body was found May 12th, 2007, at an intersection of Earl Duhon and Bobby Rhodes in Jennings. So right off the bat, not found in water like our first few victims, and clearly no attempt to hide the body. This was in the road where her body was. Makes me wonder if maybe they were trying to move her body and got interrupted or something. Very weird. Sheriff Ricky Edwards said that she had been dead, quote, a while before her body was moved to where it was found. She'd been missing for two days. Clearly she had not been in the middle of the road since her time of death. Some articles report it had been at least a couple of days and she'd only been missing for two so it's likely that she died very quickly after being last seen i have a gross question oh my god yes um so she had been dead for a while before she had been moved did they do like anything untoward with the body in that time was there any evidence of anything like that it i don't think so i didn't see anything about that but yeah, I mean, you kind of have to ask those gross questions in these cases. Sorry, holding on to a body makes me think that, yeah, yeah, holding on to the body makes me think that either you're doing something messed up with it in that time period, or that you just don't have the opportunity to move it yet. Those are the only two things I can think of. I think it was the second one. Okay. I think they were trying to move her maybe to a canal like the first three victims Mm -hmm. because it had worked so well before the decomp made it difficult for them to determine evidence. And like maybe something happened, they couldn't get her there, and they just like dropped her off where they were or left her there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. They could not determine cause of death in this case, which I think is very weird because she was only dead for two days. There was not the same level of decomp that we were seeing in the other cases. So I'm not really sure what was going on there. They did again find high levels of drugs and alcohol in her system. I don't know how they go about determining if somebody has a drug overdose. Like she clearly had high levels, but they didn't seem to determine that an overdose was the cause. I don't know what the fuck was going on here. I feel like they should have found a little bit more evidence here, but didn't. 
So what, there wasn't any evidence on her body of anything happening, just that the drugs were in her system. The drugs you could tell, you can, well, you can tell because of the bodily functions, if it was like a drug overdose right. most of the time. So if they didn't rule that, then it had to be something else, but no marks on the body? Again, it's still technically an open case, so there's a lot of info that is not available. Sure. So I don't know exactly what they did find outside of a high level of drugs and alcohol. Okay. But it's weird to me that no cause of death was sketch. determined. It's sketch. For sure. Another connection with her, Whitney was uh, one cousins to one of Loretta's children. And she was said to love music and leaves behind a daughter. So many of them are mothers. That is so sad. I know. And it's like, what the hell, man? Laconia Muggy Brown. She was just, she went by Muggy. I don't know where that nickname came from. I feel like there's got to be a fun story back behind that, but going by Muggy. Was last seen alive by her grandmother hours before her body was discovered, which was May on May 28th, 2008. She was found on the East Rocca Road, still warm, covered in bleach, and clothed, but with no shoes. So this is that one I mentioned earlier. She likely was wearing flip-flops this day, so there's a theory that she may have lost her shoes while trying to escape whoever this was. There's just something so sad about, like, the last person seeing you being your grandparent, like... Like Pop Pop or Mima or whatever you call them. Yeah, that's so sad, especially since she saw her hours before and her body was still warm. Like, could you imagine being like, oh boy, I had a great time with my grandkids. What happened with them? Like, that's scary to think about. I don't have living grandparents, so this doesn't affect me as much uh, personally, but I'm just like, that's so scary, especially when like, your grandparents are just like, oh, I hope my grandkids, you know, outlive me or whatever. And I'm just like, imagine outliving your own grandkids. That's that's so sad. And in this case, it's particularly heart-wrenching because when they found her, her, her throat had been slit. There were seven cuts to the neck and three behind the right ear, which is a weird detail. It says to me that there was possibly an attempt at either beheading or trying to mar the face to obscure identity and the family members actually had to identify her body using unique tattoos to kind of give you an idea of the brutality of this and they had to have a closed casket service even the coroner or the oh shoot what's the word for somebody who fixes you up mortician? mortuary oh. is mortuary yeah mortician thank you even the mortician couldn't make it presentable for a open casket service and that's an escalation from the previous cases and it, at least from what what we know decomposition can mess up a lot in terms of evidence of what happened but that sounds like an escalation for what happened and do they think that that is in response or do they have any theories if that's in response just to the person escalating as a killer or situationally she could have been trying to escape and that pissed the killer off there are several theories about what this was and we're gonna get into there is a serial killer theory and we're gonna get into that i think 
this was more about obscuring mm-hmm. her identity and removing the killer from her, like the covering in the bleach and the like trying to remove okay. the face, I think was an attempt at washing away evidence and trying to delay identification for as long as possible. That's my opinion, though. That also makes me think of um, copycat killers or killers who are kind of, I guess, copycat killers who do very similar things, but then there's some killers who can't stand to look at the faces of their victims. They just want the body of the victim. Like, they do the act, and then they, like, can't stand to look at the dead eyes. It it makes me wonder then, because it's, it's different from the other ones, at least from what you've said so far. So it makes me curious why it's different. What also gets mm. me is how quickly she was found in comparison to all the others. Well, she was found on the road again, like, just like uh, Whitney was. So it's not like she's dumped in a canal where her body might have sunk for a while and then reemerged. Like, she's on the road. Like, anyone see- driving by is going to find her. But that's a good point. Like, the other women were clearly there was an attempt at hiding, whereas with these women, there was more of an attempt at just obscuring identity rather than hiding. She did not appear to have drugs or alcohol in her system, and according to her family, she left the house to do laundry when she went missing. So she's not on the beat, she's not even working, she's just like trying to go do laundry. She leaves behind a young son. They're all mothers! I know! It's such, oh, it's gut-wrenching. Crystal Shea Benoit Zeno was last seen alive August 27, 2008. Her body was found September 11, 2008, but a positive ID wouldn't be made until November 11 due to the state of decomp. She was found in a wooded area with her remains mostly skeletonized at Discovery. So as a result, cause of death could not be determined. Okay, so now there's a, a trend of just completely abandoning the canal. So do you think that would probably be in response to the added attention to the canal now? You gotta look for other places because people are now kind of expecting something to happen with the canal or? Possibly. This is Louisiana. There are a lot of canals in this one town alone. So even if the police knew that there was somebody operating in this town and actively using the canals, I don't think they could cover all of them. For sure. So if, you, if, you was a, if this was a serial killer and you as a serial killer wanted to use the canals as a disposal site for whatever creepy, sick, ritualistic thing you were doing, you could still do that. Okay. I'm trying to form theories. I'm trying to form theories and ideas. It's interesting because I, I can't, now that I know like kind of where your head's at, I can't wait to see what you think when we get a little bit further into the theories. I can't wait to see if you change your mind or not. I have like a... a- a blob of an idea like it's so not formed so i'm sure whatever you say i will believe and attach to (laughs) very true so her cause of death could not be determined due to decomp her husband was friends with Kristen's husband i just like keep marking all these like little connections that these people had to each other she liked fishing singing and listening to music and leaves behind her husband and a daughter Brittany Gary, first off, best friends with Muggy. 
and was Kristen's cousin. Okay, everyone's in the same circle. It's going to be someone in this circle. Literally, that gets into it. It's very strange how connected all of these victims are because you usually don't see that. And we will get into it. Last seen November 2nd, 2008, around 5 p.m. at the Family Dollar. She called Muggy Brown's cousin, asking him to pick her up from the Family Dollar. She'd walked there, but then some people say, looking at the CTV footage of the Family Dollar, she looked like she was looking around and kind of concerned about what she was seeing. So some people think she felt uncomfortable walking home. However, he refused. I don't know if he was busy or what. And she ended up getting picked up by a man named Danny Barry, who we will talk more about later. She was reported missing by her mother the next day, and police initially treated this as a missing juvenile because she was 17 years old at the time. She will be the youngest victim that we have here, and I think that's kind of insane that they were like, nah. It's not like we've had six women die in the last three years. It's not that. I will give them, however, she... is a little bit outside the age range of most of the women who had been targeted up to this point but like there's not really an age range it's a little bit too wide to really call it an age range i think them also treating it as a missing juvenile case is a clear attempt at them trying to separate her from the other women because at this point like six women are dead they're like no 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 we have it under control this is totally unrelated It's not like we have seven dead women on our hands. This town really said like, oh no, another one, but she's different, guys. She is built different because she is a minor. And the other ones, we're not going to worry about that. I would shit my pants if there were seven people in my town, okay? I'd be like, that's weird. That's suspicious, as Miss Cardi B says. Remind me who, and maybe it's the next one, but who is the oldest victim? Ernestine was the oldest at 30. Although Ernestine, there's other things about her case that are also like, that put her apart from the other women. So I almost don't know if she should be counted as like, like her murder should be counted, but I also feel like we kind of know what happened there. They just couldn't charge anyone. Yeah, it's also, it's hard to say that she's out of age range where some women... The age range or the idea of what this person or people would have wanted could have been 20s. And you can be, you can look very young for a 20. You can look older and look 20. Like, if that's like a 10 year difference, there can be a lot different in 10 years, but also you can look very, some people look mature, some people look younger. It's weird just to knock her out of the age range just because of that. Yeah. Her body would be found by a searcher on November 15th, 2008, next to a highway. According to her aunt, her cause of death was asphyxiation, but there has not been an official release on her cause of death or toxicology report. Her body also needed to be identified by tattoos. She'd also been missing for a couple of weeks at that point in a hot, muggy, swampy Louisiana, so there's a little bit of decomp that's going to happen there as a result. According to her family, she had had a drug problem but in the past, but was now clean, and she did not engage in sex work. Very different from the other victims, if true. And I'm sorry, did you say that she 
there there wasn't drugs involved in her death, was there? You didn't say that they found drugs in her system? They don't know. There is a toxicology report. There has not been an official release of that report. Her family says that she had had a drug problem but was clean right now. So I don't know if there were drugs. Because the asphyxiation also makes me think of someone who had choked on. You can, I mean, you can be asphyxiated by a lot of things. So you could have choked on your own vomit as a result of an overdose too or of drugs in your system. Not saying that that's the case with her and there could be malicious intent with her, but asphyxiation in particular, using that terminology, makes me curious of what would have caused mm, that. For sure. According to her family, she loved to swim, listen to music, and hang out with friends. Our last victim, Nicole Gilroy, was found August 19th, 2009 off of the I-10, barely an hour after her mother reported her missing. She had been in jail for crack cocaine charges from 2007 until just a few months earlier. And at the time of her death, she actually had a warrant for her arrest for not keeping in contact with her parole officer. She had a litany of charges against her over the years, including theft, burglary, aggravated assault, aggravated assault of a police officer, possession of drug paraphernalia, and criminal damage. But most of those had been dropped before actually getting to charges. But what this says to me is that if anybody came to fuck with Nicole, she would have gone down fucking swinging. Like, this would not have been an easy takedown for anybody. We, lo- we, lo- we love someone fighting back. Her cause of death is also listed as asphyxiation, and her toxicology report is released with high levels of drugs and alcohol. Nicole's childhood friend believed that she knew most of the other victims, so there's also that connection there. It's very weird how connected all these women are. She loved music and being outdoors, and she leaves behind several children. Before we really get into, like, the the nitty-gritty here, I just think it's really cute that most of these women really loved listening to music and that most of them at least kind of knew each other. I'm just, I'm sitting here wondering to myself, like, did we share music tastes? Did we, like, share mixtapes? I want to believe that it, that is true. And quick question. Was Brittany... Mm-hmm. She's the 17-year-old, right? Yes. Was she the only one without kids? I believe so, yes. Although all of these women leave behind parents, okay. grandparents, nieces, nephews, friends, siblings. Those yeah. are just the one, the immediate families. I believe she is the only one who isn't a mother, as far as I can tell. And of course, they're all leaving by behind entire communities. But it's still, it's very, it's interesting and very sad think about Mm. so what we know by december of 2008 so before nicole's murder the jefferson davis parish sheriff ricky edwards had announced a task force to be formed from local state and federal officers to investigate these murders so there would be a task force of about eight to ten people whose job it was specifically to look into these murders In the fall of 2009, so a little bit after Nicole's murder, Sheriff Edwards publicly acknowledged the possibility that the murders were the result of a, quote, common offender. I think he didn't want to say serial killer. Fair enough. The task force then also doubled the reward for information about the murders. 
the murders. I don't know what it is if there is still a reward now. I do know at one point it got up to $85,000. So not a small reward. Victims are all young women in their late teens to late 20s, with the exception of Ernestine, who was 30. Uh, all, uh, nearly all women were reported to be actively engaged in sex work, and most of the women either had or were currently suffering from drug addiction at the time of their deaths. Sorry, and I just looked up their images, too. They all look, they're all very different. It's not like there's like a, a common look or because some serial killers or some hang on killers wait. have the same thing i'm waiting wait. okay i'll wait i'll wait, wait. we're we're right here we're right at the cusp of it hang on i never know where to put things because i'm like they're gonna catch on to this way before i have the time to get into it but i'm like we need more context before we can talk about it I know you were talking, I was trying to keep their names straight so i had to look up like an image with all their names to keep it straight <laughs> Fair enough. I'll have an image in the in the links for, for all these women. There are several different people that keep straight in this. And there's even more because there's such a cast of characters f- around these women. So we know that the task force in charge of this investigation did go on to acknowledge the possibility of these crimes being the result of a serial killer pretty early into their investigation of all eight women. And the water burials in some of these cases do seem to give some credence to a level of ritual, if not to the murder, then to the disposal method. But then, like we saw, the the disposal method and murder method also seemed to change as it went on. Pretty much all of the family members think that the serial killer theory is bullshit. General sentiment was the police weren't really giving these cases the attention that they deserved due to the victim's lifestyles and that it was easier to kind of, it's a serial killer, we're not going to look into all these cases individually kind of thing. I can see that happening. I can see that happening. Right. There's a spread. The women are very spread in terms of age and race. There's differing methods of murder and disposal. There's not really a thread here other than they were all vulnerable women many of them sex workers or drug addicts at one point or another a vulnerable victim pool really investigators seemed to overlook the possibilities of other killers in favor of the serial killer theory vis-a-vis brian chad jones and leonard nixon they kind of seemed to give up on that case with lack of evidence and unreliable witnesses but also I wonder because it didn't really fit a serial killer thread. Because that seemed to be very isolated with just Ernestine. And Ernestine, as we've established, didn't quite fit with the other victims either. And we did, you also talked about, while you were labeling these cases and talking about them, the way that they're found, the kinds of wounds that they have, the way that they died, it's different. They all vary a lot. So it would make sense if it was different kind of people or different people in general. The thing about serial killers, especially ones that don't get caught, is it's really hard to know. If you're not getting caught, then you're doing well at hiding it or diversifying what you're doing. So like what we were talking about, some of these things could be evidence of an escalation in what this person is doing, or it could just be different people, or it could be a batch of them. I don't want to say batch, sorry, that is not a group of them. Um, could have been by one person or 
it could be different. I'm just suspicious because they're all in the same kind of group. Like they all are somehow connected through friends, family. That part is suspicious. Mm-hmm. You'd think that, wouldn't you? By January of 2010, public frustration about the lack of justice for these women had reached a national scale and media outlets began flooding the small town of Jennings, Louisiana. In 2011, investigative journalist Ethan Brown would be so frustrated by police investigation, or lack thereof, that he would begin his own. And what he would find would be interesting, to say the least. I'm going to start with a quote from Ethan Brown in a 2014 Medium article. Quote, it should have been obvious all along that these deaths were not the handiwork of a serial killer. Brown points out that the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit's research indicates that serial killers usually pick out victims that have no relationship to themselves or to each other, which limits the risk of the killer being connected to a victim or victims forming a protective community or figuring out who it is. So it's interesting that you say that you're in, you find that them all being connected is suspicious when Brown like points to that as for the direct opposite argument. No, I meant that... No, I meant that as suspicious as in multiple groups suspicious. Ah, ah, I see. I didn't phrase that well. That's okay. I'm sorry. That is okay. These women all knew each other. They were all a pretty knit, close-knit community. I've already listed a few connections, but there were even more. I think I said Christine, Kristen Gary Lopez and Brittany Gary were cousins. I might have, but they're cousins. Brittany Gary and Crystal Benoit had been roommates shortly before Brittany's death. Oh my God, they were roommates. Most of the victims were sex workers that worked in the same area, in the same motel, and were, with the exception of Ernestine Patterson, connected with Frankie Richard, who was a known pimp in one way or another. This would be, of course, the same Frankie Richard, who was at one point arrested in Kristen's murder. You will recall that the two different men who were charged with Ernestine's murder, their charges were dropped due to mishandling of evidence. Also, the same case in Frankie Richard's charges dropped due to conflicting witness statements and mishandling of evidence. What do you mean mishandling of evidence, Jennings Police Department? Let's get into it. Public feelings around law enforcement in Jennings was very divided, like I said, on socioeconomic lines. Those in the north side were a little bit more of the opinion of they're doing their best, you know, they're just doing what they can. And then the south side, they were pretty aware that the police were not on their side. Both the Jennings Police Department specifically and the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff Office were notorious for misconduct. In the 90s, multiple officers had been implicated and charged in major drug traffic deals, obstruction of justice, illegal traffic stops, and embezzlement. Wow. Wow. Slow clap for all of them out there. This trend continued into the early 2000s, 
with an officer firing deliberately at fellow officers. A sexual violence and harassment suit being filed by eight female Jennings police officers against male colleagues. A police chief accused of stealing, and this is just one guy, $4,500 in cash, 1,800 pills, 380 grams of cocaine, and several pounds of marijuana. Sorry, I want to loop back to the, the, the police officer that just shot at his co-workers. That, that is a case for another time. It was very interesting. I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about the numbers, and I'm just like, this is a really shitty math problem. Like, imagine you're in elementary school, and you're going to do a little bit of math, and you're like, those are some really big numbers. Like, what is he going to do with all that? I think whoever was writing down the list of charges for this police chief may have marked down the weight of the cocaine because once you get to 400 grams in the state of Louisiana, that's where you start getting the big boy charges. So I'm wondering, 380 seems a little bit too close to that magic number for me for it to be a coincidence. That's my opinion, though. (laughs) That's really funny. They really were like, oh, he's already going through so much. 380 because he took 20 grams to snort. We say it once again. A cab. Also that, but he also has so much other illegal shit. Like, why would you bother at that point? (laughs) I also don't think this was at one time. I think it was over the course of a while with his position. But, like, it is funnier to think of him just shoving money, pills, cocaine, and weed into a sack and then, like, sneaking off. The Jennings eight women pretty much all had a criminal past, mostly drug charges, prostitution, writing bad checks, not like murder or anything like really crazy, more about charges that reflected the lifestyle that they were living at the time. This would put them in regular contact with Jeff Jeff Davis Parish law enforcement with two guys in particular that I want to talk about. So Danny Brown, we talked about a little bit earlier in regards to Brittany's case. Reports indicate that jailer Danny Berry in the Jefferson Davis Parish would sex traffic the female inmates often. He was known to pick up sex workers. Oh, yeah. Known to pick up sex workers, take them to his home and get them high. A lot of women had high... Like, a lot of different sex worker women say this. I'm not going to say sex worker women. That's, like, a weird way to say that. A lot of different sex workers from the area were saying this. And it seemed like the police didn't really take these statements seriously. So that's interesting. And a lot of the women who were found had high contents of drugs and alcohol in their systems at the time that they were found. So it's interesting to me that Danny was known to pick up these women and get them high. And then these women were found with really high levels of drugs. Could be unrelated. A lot of them did also have drug problems, but I find that interesting. Uh, He had been seen picking up Brittany Gary on the night of her disappearance and was like barely questioned about it. Like, 20 minutes of, like, did you know this girl? And then he just said, no. And then they went, Because they're doing it for their buddy. Of course they're going to let it slide. That's pretty much how it went. He claimed to not even know Brittany, and they kind of just let that slide. 
that's so quirky and strange and weird. Oh my god, did you know this one? No, you didn't even look at the- no. Yeah, okay, you're right, buddy. You are so right. I am so sorry for, like, even asking you in the first place. Boo. This sucks, balls. Danny Brown would die in 2010, so if he was involved, we'll never hear it from him. Which is such bullshit. Because, personally, if he didn't kill these women, I do think he was involved in some really gross police abuse of power, at the very least, when it came to these women. And I think that's really disgusting that he got away with that and got no punishment for it. And it's so hard to, even if we discover and confirm that he was involved in some of these things, it is so hard to even confirm that someone's guilt when they have passed. Right. Like, let alone punishment, the Galloway not having punishment, but even confirming guilt or, like, anything like that is so hard to do once the person dies. It is. And I... It's interesting to say how they got away, Stephanie. How he got away was that he was friends with all of his police buddies and that they all covered for him. That's how he got away with it. Yikes! Another guy, Terry Gilroy, kind of... This is kind of a weird one because he was friends with Loretta's family. He was a police officer, but he was friends with Loretta's family and was connected to many of the families of the victims. He seemed to have this, at least, image of this, like cop of the people kind of thing going like for the south side he was well liked and trusted by a community that from what i could tell did not trust cops at all before and after this do not trust cops now so that's interesting he was warden of the jeff davis parish jail during this time period so he had quite a bit of power over the women, at the very least, while they were in jail. And he was also family by marriage to Nicole Gilroy. They were cousins by marriage. And according to her mom, he made, like, some really creepy cousin comments to Nicole at some point. We do not like that. Like, like one of those if you weren't my cousin kind of comments. Which Gross. Disgusting, if true. Oh my god, right? He was kind of known to do trades, which the examples I found were not gross, but I feel like it's a pattern that denotes possible grossness somewhere. But apparently he was known to trade information for letting kind of small petty crimes go. Like if you were arrested on prostitution or a drug charge, he might let you go if you gave him some information he might want to know about you know the drug trade which that makes sense okay that's a strategy that people use to get information about those right it makes sense but also you can see untoward things happening very easily and because of other things i'm about to tell you it makes me wonder about these trades a little more than i would otherwise because according to witnesses he had a thing for Loretta, although according to one of Loretta's friends, like most men in town had a thing for Loretta, which like, get you a girl who gasses you up. Uh, they had had a sexual relationship at different points throughout the years. I will also say Mans was married, but you know, we're just going to throw that out there. 
Terry, of course, denies having a sexual relationship with her at all, but several different people confirm having witnessed some stuff go down. And just weirder than that, just before the news broke about Loretta's death, Terry apparently came to her mother's home, remember that he was friends with her family, and asked if her mom had seen Loretta. Loretta hadn't even been missed yet. Very weird. He kind of just shows up unannounced to her mom's house and is like, hey, have you seen Loretta? I'm I'm just looking for because I'm so worried and I'm such a good guy. And they definitely didn't murder her. Like, that's that seems sketch to that me. That sounds a little weird. In addition to Loretta, Crystal Benoit was apparently a babysitter for Terry, although those who knew Crystal say that there was definitely more to it than just babysitting. She apparently had made a phone call to Terry from a gas station on the day of her disappearance. And she was then seen getting picked up in a truck by men connected to Frankie Richard, local pimp. Terry showed up to the Benoit family home saying that Crystal was dead, but that he didn't kill her. Unprompted. Before the news broke again. So you might think he's like doing them a favor of like coming and telling them like ahead of time since he's on the force and he knows... But then, like, as a part of the conversation, he's telling this family that Crystal is dead. And he's like, but I didn't kill her. And the whole family's like, we didn't ask. We did not ask if you killed her. That is super suspicious to be like, oh, you know, I didn't kill her. I'm telling you the news. Like, that wasn't our first thought, but okay. Now, a witness claimed to have seen the same men connected to Frankie Richard and who were seen picking up Crystal, leaving the wooded area where Crystal's body was dumped right around the time that she would have been dumped. This witness was later found dead. According to police, he just laid down on the train tracks and got run over. So they're saying it was suicide. That would be... No, a really I don't think intense so. way to go if that was the choice, which I don't think it was. I don't think so. What were you going to say, Stephanie? Yeah, that's weird. Imagine being like, oh my god, have you seen Loretta? I, I miss her so much. I have not seen her. Yeah, that's the thing. Totes didn't kill her, everybody. Years later, who? Maybe that's the kind of thing that eats you. His original, like, he went and told, like, family after the news about Crystal came out about this, because, you know, what else are you going to do? Tell family. And he didn't say that he, like, saw her body. He just claimed seeing the same men who were the last ones to be seen with Crystal. On the other hand, like, having that knowledge and then knowing that Crystal was found there later that kind of addition in your mind can be difficult. I don't fucking think so. And neither does his family. 
His family thinks that the police beat him to death and then put his body on the train tracks to cover it up. That is what his family thinks. I'm not going to say if that that is for sure true because I don't know that, but... With the police, no more than any other uh, crack cocaine addict who is a person of color in Southside Jennings. So there's this weird connection between Terry Gilroy and Frankie Richard. And Terry has not been charged with any crimes related to the Jennings 8. I am just going to say that. I That's think such a weird... He's a little bit sus. And there's definitely... There's definitely something going on there. I don't know what, but there's something there. It was discovered also. So that's two. That's two kind of weird police officers. I'm going to talk about one more and then get into some other possible cover-ups here. It was also discovered that Chief Investigator Warren Gary had, on March 30th, 2007 bought a white Chevy Silverado truck from an inmate, Connie Seiler, who was known to be friends with one of the victims. Not necessarily illegal to just buy a truck off an inmate, but a witness, is, a witness said that she saw Christine, not Christine, it was Christine, I fucked it up again, I fucked it up again, I want it to be Christine, it's not Christine. Not necessarily we'll illegal say. on its own. But a witness said that she saw Kristen Gary Lopez, victim number three, in the truck on the day of her disappearance. It is believed that the truck may have been a crime scene. I was just going to say it probably scene. is really traumatic and to like, just be living your life and then to see someone's body washed in a car wash and then sold Train tracks is for a profit. not the way I'd opt to go. Something though. about it being sold for a profit is an extra slap in the face if it was in fact a crime scene. What a yikes to think about. What a yikes. So there was... The police department, because this was... He bought it as a personal matter. So he just bought it for himself and then sold it for profit. So the police ethics board did investigate this and find ended up finding him $10,000, which is about as much as they can find him without charging him criminally. And he was not given any charges for this because also technically they can't prove it was for sure do a crime they, scene. They can just prove it was sketchy. So I can kind of see do why they know no that he had charges like an were filed, but also relationship like that's sketch as hell and you know it. So... That's great. And then later, he got made head of the evidence room. So he got a, he was taken off of this case, yes. But then he kind of also got a promotion. I don't know if being head of the evidence room is a promotion, but he was still he kept his they job. They were suspicious about him tampering with evidence, so they made him head of the evidence oh department. Oh, my God. What logic yes. is that? (laughs) 
Moving on to another thing that's a little sketch about this. In 2007, so four women are dead at this point out of the eight, Sergeant Jesse Ewing, so E-W-I-N-G, maybe it's Ewing, I'm not sure, discovered that two female inmates in the city jail claimed to have information on the murders and wanted to talk. What they had to say has never been, the tapes in full have never been released because this was recorded, but That's so stupid. I'm going to lose my mind. Imagine. Um, yeah, this guy has tapes tampered with evidence. We should make him the head of the department. Everybody. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. I don't know what that voice is, but, um, you get my point. You get my point. That's stupid. Imagine being like, yeah, the guy who did not do the group project well enough should be the leader everybody yeah that's a great idea original owner of the police department denies any knowledge Mm. taking place in the truck Mm. okay ewing delivered the Mm. tape recording of the conversation to a local pi who then turned it over to the fbi and who then turned it over to the local task force even though Ewing could have turned it into the task force, but clearly didn't because he didn't trust the task force. There's a reason this man came to the FBI and not to the locals. The FBI goes, nah. This seems like something that the local group should take care of. Because internal investigations into your own group is fine. Right. Ewing would actually end up being charged with malfeasance in office and sexual misconduct and was fired after 20 years of being on the force. Malfeasance is malfeasance in office is doing something intentionally that is wrong or illegal. At the time it was he actually pled down from breaking the chain of custody to malfeasance. So I think malfeasance is a little bit more of like a general like I fucked up. But like they claimed he broke the chain of custody, I think because he gave it to a PI who's technically not in law enforcement first. I think maybe if he'd given it to the FBI directly, it might have been okay. Law enforcement's very strict about their chain of custody. So I can see why in some cases, like, yeah, you have to follow the chain of custody. But also, what do you do if you don't trust the local police? Like I said, those tapes have never been made public in full. There are a couple of clips that can be found online, but, you know, it's 2023. This was, like, several, several years ago. I don't know if they'll ever release the full tapes. Brown's investigation turned up these tapes, actually, because they were not exactly forthcoming. Brown started his investigation in 2011, so four years after the tapes had been recorded so they'd kind of buried them after the whole Ewing situation and he says that the tapes uh no what did I write here oh yeah Brown's investigation drudged up the tapes and then he says that what was said in the tapes was corroborated with other task force interviews of witnesses not that the task force openly said anything about it He also found that all these women were police informants of the local drug trade. We kind of know that Terry was known to do these trades for information for maybe releasing, letting go of charges. I'm not sure if it relates to that or if they were informants on a larger scale. That also makes it 
But there was definitely, like... Go ahead. Sorry, that also makes it suspicious that... Informants, if found out, are going to be targeted. So that also kind of adds a layer of possibility. That's true. And we think of these cases as unsolved. But if you ask the locals, they will tell you that local law enforcement is responsible for at least some of these murders. Like, without a doubt. Kristen Lopez was allegedly present at a 2005 police shooting of Leonard Crochet, a local drug dealer. And witnesses told the grand jury in charge of investigating this incident that they believed police were responsible for killing many of the witnesses of the shooting. Nicole Gilroy told her mother that the police were killing girl, killing the girls and was actually very somber on her 27th birthday, telling her mother, quote, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to be here, unquote. Oh, that's scary. And leading up to her death, she, I know, she, leading up to her death, placed her four children with relatives. She knew it was coming. She got her affairs in order because she knew this was coming. That is horrible. Frankie Richard, her pimp, told Brown that Nicole, quote, knew a whole lot about a whole lot. I don't know how I feel about information coming from this guy, but I don't think he has a reason to lie to say that. Unless it's to put put it on the police and not him. I'm not really Maybe, sure. Maybe, but... It's hard because you can't trust the police. You can't really trust a lot of the players. It's just, it's a, it's a difficult case to think about. It also makes it suspicious that, I mean, people say it's the police. You wonder if maybe them being informants was a way to get closer to the group of them as well. Hmm. Nicole also is apparently not the only victim who predicted her death. Muggy Brown also told witnesses that, quote, three police officers were going to kill her, unquote. And I find that three police officers interesting because we've talked about three incredibly sketch police officers. Danny. Oh, God, what was his name? Stupid little name. Stupid little man. Don't remember. Right. (laughs) Danny Brown, Terry Gilroy, and Warren Gary. There are a lot of Browns in this as well. It's just interesting. In 2009, as a response to public outcry, local law enforcement submitted DNA to prove to prove they had no connections to these murders. The results, yeah, unless a different. Well, they had DNA for some of these. They had they had like some DNA for a couple of these, but you're right, most of them they didn't have anything. I think this was just a show. But it's interesting because those results would never be released to the public. So I was going to say, it's also suspicious. What the fuck was in those tests? It's like local law enforcement is bringing their own evidence as to why they did it. Like, why they did not do it. Like, this is the evidence of them not doing it. But we're not trusting the local law enforcement. So unless some external force does a review, I'm not going to trust what you say. I don't know who they sent the DNA to, if they did it in-house or somewhere else. I don't know. I think it was just a show because, like... They didn't report the results at all! 
Wait, who? I'm sorry. I thought you said the local fall. Makes me wonder if they even I did it. I thought you said the local law enforcement said that they had evidence that they did not do it. No, no, no. Uh, what I said was, uh, as a response to public outcry, local law enforcement submitted DNA to prove that they had no connections to these murders. Um, so what they did was they had all of the local law officers submit DNA to be tested sorry. against what they had for these yeah. cases. You oh, can no, wait, take I'm out my rambling then, because I just, I misinterpreted that sentence. <laughs> no worries. And these re results were never released to the public, which is not suspicious in the slightest what was in those tests although that also makes me wonder if they even did them or if they just said they did them they could totally have just said and then just hoped them. people would forget by the time they would have gotten the results back because you also sometimes weird i think we've all been conditioned to anticipate a long expect wait. a fast turnaround from yeah oh really i would say fast turnaround from like uh crime shows no i think from all the at least people who are have listened to true crime dna gets submitted and it takes years sometimes for some of it to be processed so in my case Dara, my thinking is that some people might be conditioned to think this is going to take a long time so when they don't immediately Carrie? hear back they're just kind of twiddling their thumbs waiting so it might be another kind of oh we submitted it but it might take a year or two because they're really backed up so you might not hear and then they just hope people forget could be that. During the course of the investigation, Ethan Brown also discovered that Louisiana Congressman Charles Bustany allegedly had sex with three useless, of the though. victims at the motel like, the most women of the worked bodies. out of. Okay. Uh, field a field representative for Bustany actually owned the motel that the women worked out of. My guy. My guy. Brown made all of this information public because of course he did. Fuck you, Charles Bustani. And then Bustani tried to sue him for defamation of character. But the suit was then dropped after Charles lost the election because it didn't matter at that point for him. But also, technically, for those who care, uh, defamation of character only counts if the statements made are false. So... I don't know, Charles, if you really want us to all get into it to figure out if those statements were true or false, because that's not going to look good for you. So that was an interesting move on his part. I think he was trying to save face for just the election. But then as soon as the election was lost, he was like, actually, let's not let's not look into that. What this case boils down to, I think, is a brutal attack on a vulnerable community by those who had power over them, who were meant to protect them. I think these women were murdered for knowing too much about powerful people or for witnessing things they shouldn't have. And there's this weird entanglement between law enforcement and Jennings and this guy, Frankie Richard. He's like pretty big in the Jennings underground from what I could tell, but also like, why are you guys so involved with this dude? Yeah, and like, people know about him and the police are doing nothing about that <laughs> exactly i think police are probably responsible for three or four of From these 23 murders. And me. 
And I think Frankie Richards is responsible for a couple as well. At least I think Kristen's. Mm -hmm. And then I think police helped him cover it up, which is all a theory of mine and not at all me saying that that is fact. Do not come for me, Jennings or Frankie Police Department or Frankie Richard. But like, why are you guys such pals? Why are you guys such chummy friends with this guy? I don't understand it. So weird. It also makes I me wonder with... if, sorry, oh. it also makes me wonder if this Frankie guy just has dirt on the police. So it's like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. I'm so shocked I didn't think of that because of, he has to have dirt on them because we know at least one of them had sexual relationships with a couple of the girls. And Frankie Richard was almost all of their pimps. So he has to know something about these police officers that they don't want getting out maybe he had known about the police officers engaging in that activity with these girls and he just may have set it up as well which is horrific probably i also personally don't think that ernestine fits with the other women mm-hmm. i think that her case i think we know what happened i think it was the two men who were charged with her murder and then got off on lack of evidence there was this i'm gonna say there was a documentary that follows ethan brown's investigation of this called murder in the bayou it is very good it's on amazon prime for like seven dollars for the whole thing if you want to find more about this case out they talk about ernestine's case they say that there was allegedly some evidence on some floorboards at the murder site people said there was blood on the floorboards and then the police said they would investigate it. And then they waited like two years, enough time that if there had been blood on there, it it's no longer viable. So by the time they tested it, there was no blood found. Which, you know, could say maybe there was never blood there or maybe there was and you waited too damn long. We'll never know. But there was a lot of like failings in Ernestine's case that put her on this list when the chances are she could have had justice. Mm-hmm. At least one of these women could have had justice if we'd done our jobs a little bit. It's, it's really sad. And I have their pictures up. And Ernestine just looks so kind. I don't know. Just She has, looks like she has a very kind face. So while you're talking about that, it's really sad. And they have a really nice picture of Nicole with a really nice smile. I mean, these women, it's hard and I do recommend that you guys look up pictures because it's hard, one, to keep track of this many people, but also put the faces to the names and, like, think about them as real people because it's really sad. Ernestine's smile in her photo, it just lights up her whole face. And I definitely, when you came into this, when you started it out, you had suggested serial killer, so I was like, okay, in my head, I'm going to try and formulate how this works. But as we're, like, going on and we're talking about the different, like, deaths and the way they're doing it, I'm like, that just doesn't... I mean, earlier you heard me talking about it. I was like, could be a copycat killer or, like, is he escalating? Like, I don't know how this is fitting into a serial killer. And it makes sense now that we've talked about it that it probably was not, but... You can see, though, how the case developed. You're like, okay, maybe it's a serial killer Maybe it's not. and But now that we have, like, the context of all eight women, I feel like it's a lot clearer that, at least in my opinion, it was not a serial yeah. killer. It was several different people 
who are all interconnected in this really tangled and complicated web of connections and possible blackmail with Frankie Richard in the police department, possible just, you know, pe bad people letting other bad people get away with shit. Yeah, yeah. I will say that this case did open up a lot of conversations about making sex work safer for women. There was a lot of discourse about that at, that came out of this case, so at least some good in that sense came out of it. And I want to end with a quote from Whitney Dubois' sister, Brittany Jones. Quote, Please see them as people, as individuals, and not as drug addicts and prostitutes. Whitney had a family who loved her. She has a daughter who will live the rest of her life without her mother. We are all hurting without her. And I think, like you were saying, Annalise, it's so easy to mix up the different girls. There's eight of them. It's so easy to just see them as one group, one collective, and they're all their own individual people with individual lives who've all were kind of friends with each other. This was kind of a part of a group, but they all had their own things going on and now they don't because garbage people decided that they didn't get to have that anymore that's what i have for you today i started doing research on this case and i thought it was going to be like a quick like maybe there's a serial killer what do you think kind of discussion and then i fell down a rabbit hole of police corruption and cover-ups that i wasn't expecting which is kind of fun because you kind of get to see how there's so much more to a case than what you originally see in an overview. And I had not heard of this case before looking into it. I feel like it's not, maybe it's, it's probably more well known if you live near Jennings, Louisiana, but for us up in the north, it's not well known. So it's good to get some more information about something that I haven't really heard about. For sure. And it definitely, I was talking to Anna earlier. I saw the name. I was like, I have no Now I feel bad because we joked about it. Or I think like while we were getting lunch, we were just like, oh, it's Jennings 8. It's like the Jackson 5. No, it's not. This is not a fun, silly little group, like little family having fun singing songs. This is corruption and many more. That's, oh, huh. The Jennings 8 does sound like, I do, I do kind of hate when we, and it's hard because we want to give something a succinct name so that it's easily recognizable and that does help cases in some situations, but I do kind of hate when we give something like Jennings 8. Like, it sounds like it might be a pop group or a superhero Sounds group, like a band But name. it is not at it's all. It's not. <laughs> you know what, though? Most of the women were said by their families to like music so who knows what we could have had we could have had a band well i hope you're just as disappointed as i am uh i got into a deep dive on all these different women and their different lives and i i messaged you the group a little bit this week i was like i'm so goddamn mad i'm so mad about these women so i hope you're as mad as me um sex work is real work and it participating in it should not make you a victim of violent crime and also police should maybe 
do their jobs and not be super involved with local pimp and strip club owner? Just throwing it out there. Make sure to put your dishes in the sink. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.